There's a dependent arising and dependent ceasing. Get the whole picture, dependent arising, dependent ceasing. And bearing in mind, once again, this uh, lists factors. Buddhist love lists. I don't love them, but it seems to be lots of lists. And this can feel rather complex and uh, maybe over information. Surely we'll need to just be mindful. All this stuff going about sankaras, why don't you just be mindful? That's enough. Be mindful. Yeah, be mindful. But mindfulness depends upon. (laughs) 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 And then when you are mindful, what comes up? Well, then you this way you handle it like this, this way you handle it like that, this way you step, you know, there's all kinds of dependent arising. And then any any one aspect is going to involve other aspects. Now it may not be you have to remember the whole lot, but if you've got some sense of the the potent the potent dhammas in the field, both negative and positive, say okay, so Right, you know, let's have a look at. Well, let's remember dispassion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember persistence, energy. Stay with it. Yeah. Remember inquiry, investigate. Don't just sit there letting it happen. Let's have a little probe in there. What's going on? Yeah. So, you see, the Dhamma practice itself is a multiplicity of factors to handle and then what arises is actually a multiplicity of factors this is dukkha yeah. and the dukkha depends upon a certain amount of uh, uh, adherence clinging being stuck to being stuck to means there's something that's being, that is being stuck and there's an energy that does the sticking this is tanha that, that which powers the glue, squirts the glue, if you like, is done And that depends upon <laughs> yada yada yada, so it goes on. You know? So sure you can take any one of these factors, but you've got to drill down and say, well actually yeah, but that leads to that, 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 that. Not just to create a kind of intellectual accumulation, but to recognise in all this, well, that's the one I can manage. You have all these factors I can't manage samadhi right now. I can't manage, but I can manage, uh, um, you know, um, somewhere like a, a dispassion or a little bit of um, investigation or, you know, at least some faith, maintaining faith in the process <laughs> rather than just going into, I can't, you know, overwhelm, can't manage, can't do it. You know, coming back to that. And because actually this is so important, because uh, frankly we can't do it. The personality structure is incapable of managing Dhamma. So there's bound to be some place where the personality has to gently relax or (laughs) something splits. You go, hang on, just be with this, just be with this. Here we are. Don't have to have an answer, don't have to have a solution. Uh, this, 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 this is moving, this is moving, let it move, you know. Okay. And then, oh, coming through. Mm-hmm. 
So that move from, from, from the personality, which is a, a structure, an organizational structure, and everybody, we all produce personalities, chittas produce a personality, they grow, is it perhaps even when we're very small, instead of some kind of personal tendencies, but they are shaped by the interface of chitta with sense contact, and specifically psychological contact. That's what shapes this layer of chitta called the personality. It's like the skin. Get shaped. Fire. Uh, particularly social contact, this is approval, this is disapproval. That means a bit of, there's a boundary there. Uh, so you get this, jitter produces a skin. Which means it's sensitive, receptive to, sensitive, receptive to, like, you know, then, like if you cut yourself and you have an open wound, gradually your skin forms. Chitta is like an, like an open wound, <laughs> or a very open condition. And then skin forms over that, healthy skin forms over that to mediate all this inflow of, of feelings and perceptions and stuff that oh, you know, can be sensed and felt. And in the ideal condition, which doesn't occur, all that forming of skin is, is healthy. There's a good degree of constant, steady warmth and stability and acceptance and welcome, and the skin forms very nice and smooth and no wrinkles and no tears. Uh, this doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, there are moments when that uh, either, you know, it doesn't quite get the warmth or the steadiness that's required because the family situation isn't that way or accidents occur or something or the other. So there's a bit where it's a bit sensitive, thin, thin skin. And there's areas where it's been there hasn't been the time or the process of gradual forming of skin so that you develops muscle instead to kind of keep things out so we get hard skinned or muscle yeah. you, know, you may not think jitters have muscle that's the term but it's, so if we talk about um, the capacity to do you know, if we come into the body, what is the agent of doing? It's muscle, isn't it? Skin doesn't do anything, it just sits, it just hangs there, receiving things. The doer is the muscle. Now, okay, so what, when we look at the jitta, the doer, that's the muscle. The receiver is the skin. Okay, so and uh, muscle is fine, that's important, that's healthy, we need muscle to do things. When does it become hard and locked, tense muscle? 
something's not quite right, is it? It's hardened. Your ability to be supple. When it acts purely as a defense to not feel something, so the doing becomes compulsive to build up a sense of non-receptivity. Because if you're receptive, then these these unresolved uh, chitta tendencies, which haven't properly formed uh, healthy skin, start to well up and feel overwhelmed, incapable. And this happens. Naturally, the, another term we could use is willpower. Well, the hard muscle, the jitter, is willpower. Certainly, we can have will to do. I want to do that, I want to do that. When does it become just push through? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes that's necessary. Yeah, you know, getting climbing up a mountain, you know, you can't decide whether you feel like it or not, you've got to get to that shelter on time, otherwise it's very difficult. So you just got to harden up and just push. But then, ideally, you come out of that and relax, loosen up, it's over now. (laughs) So, yeah, we needed willpower, but then we discharge the willpower. So we come back to a healthy state. Stay on willpower all the time, things start to malfunction. The energies, the chemicals, the energies are not balanced. So we might have to go to an imbalance, then we need to return to balance. Now, we're not climbing mountains most of the time, but there'll be a good amount of push through happening in our life. Get the job done, get this done, get the work done, get the house clean, get the kids fed, get the dog walked. Get the next thing, get the next thing on the agenda, plan that on the computer, data. Just keep going. <laughs> Not through evil intention at all. Good intention. And uh, it's good intentions you've got to be careful about. It's bad intentions more or less speak for themselves and recognise those. It's the good intentions that are probably the greatest problem. Because <laughs> you get that build up, then there's no, there isn't the balance of having no intention, just which allows energy to return to the more balanced state. Now what is so? What's this? So this, yeah. Now, if there isn't that occasion or that possibility or that understanding or whatever to do that, then things start to get locked, and I, as the doer, become the dominant factor, the dominant experience in life. Again, that's not necessarily evil, but it can be. Uh, when something's getting missed, we're missing the occasion. We're missing the occasion. And some of that, uh, so we're missing the occasion to have that balance of openness and stability and nibbana. 
Okay, let's put different language in it. Um, as I've suggested, the whole activity experience is sankara, activations, programs, uh, processes, things, formulations. We formulate our lives. We have life programs. We have this season I've got to do this. This week I'm doing that. That's a program. Uh, I'm building this house for the next three years. That's a program, you know, our lives are programs, you know, formulations. Right? Yeah, so it means a certain amount of drive and persistence has to flow down that channel. All fine, be careful. <laughs> Just that's all, be, be, be aware. Yeah. Because when you program certain things, it means certain things you have to leave out. You know, you, if you're going down a highway, it means you, you can't explore the forest. And it's all, so, you know, this is what it's doing. But the problem, is, well, a problem is that being programmed becomes such a predominant tendency that that's where we get familiar with, we orient around being, pro- having a program, being a program, programming things, yeah. that becomes such a dominant territory or psychological territory of our lives. That we miss the unprogrammed. And also, situation can commonly arise that having built the house, completed the degree in music, whatever, got to the end of that, then, okay, what's the next thing? I don't know how to be unprogrammed. Give me a program. <laughs> which can go any which way. And they can all be, you know, interesting, whatever, but just none of it's problematic as such, except the, there's an underlying compulsion which you don't recognize unless there's some way in which we lift out of the program. So, what if that doesn't occur? How much is in it? You know, the underlying compulsion to have a program, to be a program. You know? And this is the current, the asava of becoming. There will be a future. I will make progress. We will get this thing done. We will move on. That becomes my my familiarity. Where I feel familiarized, I've oriented around. It's not that great, but I sort of feel comfortable in that in that state, even though it takes a lot of work and I get tired and so forth. Because it supports the underlying tendency for self, or the underlying tendency for a singularity, let's put it that way. The term self can be quite problematic, but the tendency to be a singularity. <laughs> I, it's called.
and the singularity does not exist. There is no singularity. So we may think, yeah, well, you know, I'm doing this. It's me, my life. I'm, I'm the singularity. Okay, so when you look into that, that sense of the singularity, what is it? Well, it's a range of moving emotions and feelings and energies. And it's not a singularity at all, is it? It seems like a singularity, just like a vortex does. And you see, it's all kinds of streams flowing and turning around. So, so it's a multiplicity that seems like a singularity. So that's the that's the seems to create a singularity. It appears that way. So you investigate it. It's all kinds of different things coming together. So we might say, what's pulling it all together? What's pulling it all together? So in the um, first discourse of the middle length sayings, the Buddha talks about the root of all things. Uh, I think this so saying that people what's the oneness? Mm. I think some some group of monks have been speculating on the nature of the the final one reality, the final truth. Mm. Buddha starts analysing all these different factors. And it says the main factor that's occurring is conceiving. That's what's binding it all together. We form a conceptual sense. In a conceptual sense, I am. It's conceived out of surveying a multiplicity. And that's, that's me, that's in the me packet. This is mine. That's conceived. So it's, the problem is conceiving. And the oneness that's doing the conceiving, the one thing, is called craving. So rather than one thing, supreme deity, says the one thing, the singularity, is craving. And of course craving itself is not quite a singularity either. Because craving depends upon ignorance. That this true knowing that nothing can actually be grasped and held, that trying to grasp and hold and get something is always futile because it's like you can't grab a river, it's going to run through your hands. And that whatever is grasped, the grasping itself is uncomfortable, futile. Then the craving. And there's nobody doing the craving, it's just an energy. There's dispassion towards craving. And the dispassion, the dispassion releases the energy that goes into craving. So that, see, so that's all, <laughs> you see, the dependencies occurring all through that, through the arising and the ceasing. And if we just go back to the point about the singularity, and so, Again, some teachers will just keep hammering away at that, like, who is this? Who's the thinker? Because always the assumption is, I'm thinking. 
who is it who's thinking? You go, um, I'm thinking. Who is who? But what is that? You point, so you, you recognize there isn't a singularity thinking, there's an arising of interest, some kind of interest arises, attention swings around, um, uh, dhammas are seized, formed articulated and presented as an arising of factors that produce a thought. Thought itself moves on, it doesn't stay still, it continually cascades in terms of further input of interest, enthusiasm, rejection, censorship. It tumbles along this process and then it gradually comes dissolves into something else. It's all cascades dependent rising and ceasing. Now the point of this is that the singularity in terms of an agent is uh, always to be investigated because this is where suffering really takes hold this singularity may seem to be just so what until you get to I am suffering <laughs> I am in pain I am miserable I am stuck then that singularity becomes extremely significant <laughs> Or again, of course, I am, I am happy, I'm, ex- I'm an enlightened person. And it becomes problem, equally problematic. And similarly, singularity in regards to Dhamma practice, just be mindful. Stop clinging. That's what it is, the main thing is clinging. Just stop clinging, things will be okay. Take one fact and just stop doing it. Everybody, got it? Stop clinging. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> and if we start to investigate clinging, the Buddha said, he gives this example of four being four clusters of. of experiences that, that clinging can, can form around that dependent arising clinging can take certain topics to co- coagulate around and so you have a clinging to sense pleasure, what's that about? feeling mm-hmm. pleasant feeling mm-hmm. uh, sense of uh, desire that's also there uh, a certain amount of unknowing or ignorance, not recognizing you know, this is going to change or this is taking energy out of me rather than bringing energy into me. So, certain factors crystallize in that dependent rising to support clinging to sense pleasure. And we can also say certain things are absent, like clarity is absent, uh, perhaps. Um, uh, mindfulness is absent, or perhaps a firmer foundation understanding is absent. So, certain the absence of factors also is a supportive factor. This is why so much Buddhist practice is about generating a whole field of support factors that begin to link up, and the chitta starts to 
know those, not intellectually. It's a direct knowing. Direct knowing. You may wonder, how on earth did you learn to walk? How did you find out which muscles to move first? How did you know how to hold your back up straight? How did you know all these things? Your body kind of fell over a few times, pushed itself up, probably cried, grazed your knees, got up, thought you, then you had some sense, I want to do it again. <laughs> so that arose, <laughs> a sense of purpose arose, faith arose, energy arose, courage arose, and gradually the system started to know itself. I didn't, if somebody had told me, look, look, son, all you need to do is put that foot there, wrinkle those toes, bend your knees, swing it, I couldn't do it. So you, you can't go through the intellect, but realize that the system will start to know itself. And our capacity, you know, our encouragement to actually maintain an open frame rather than fill in all the details is that the open, within the open frame jitter will sort of start to kind of sense itself and recognize oh, here's these qualities certainly there's some difficult stuff but there's also a sense of awareness some clarity there's some integrity there's some uh, goodwill there's Aspiration and all that, you know. If you can't name them, you can feel them. Something there. And getting putting the jitta into a situation where a lot of information is taken away, so it has to find out for itself. And we're doing this kind of a, a belt and braces job by providing a lot of information so some of those terms may actually nudge I never, I never considered that may nudge the jitter to where, where on that faith thing, where's that? You know, so we can name these things to then catalyze some awakening of these factors but the names alone aren't going to do it so it's very much in that in that field of the steady frame, safe, steady, no pressure, no end game, no results, no judgments, no program after it's just hold the thing steady without getting rigid and sense of some goodwill, see what arises within that. Probably some difficult things will arise, but there will also be a, a, a capacity beyond the person. Persons a reduced frame of reference, a rather flawed frame of reference, a rather battered frame of reference, with a few holes in it. But the frame of reference of a multiplicity of dhammas, they can manage it. It arises. Mm. This is direct practice, isn't it?
So, okay, once again referring back to those four places where these conditions that support clinging can crystallize, we have uh, 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 views of uh, becoming and non-becoming. This is what's this about? So this is really uh, associated with the uh, energy called becoming, clinging to becoming, that that thing that wants to add things up and perpetuate, make a continuity. And it can form such notions as myself, my true self. Within all this, there is a true singularity that is eternal. You know, unites with the ultimate. That certainly that's a common enough Vedic view. Within all this kind of miasma of this, that, and the other, there's a fundamental, is a true, clear, knowing Buddha stuff that when death with death that moves to the unconditioned that wouldn't be a, I think that's not a uh, that would be an assumption we might hold or people might hold certainly in the Upanishadic tradition that's exactly what they're saying the Brahman in there the Atman in there will unite with Brahman into the great one mm-hmm. so that's the eternalist view Annihilationist view, secular, look, we're just, we're just a bunch of meat, operating, psychophysical organism, uh, it's just, just rumbling along. So again, it's a kind of, there's nobody in here anyway, it's just, you know, selfless conditions rumbling along, and then the end doesn't go anywhere, and um, finishes. There's no such thing as further transmigration. And that also could be a view that uh, Buddhists might hold. Certain, both of those you think, yeah, sounds sounds like one way of understanding not self. <laughs> but the problem is, in both cases, we are inferring a singularity that will or will not exist. So the vibhava, the clinging to um, um, non-existence does imply that there's somebody here who will be non-existent. <laughs> and so when actually, actually what we can see directly present is there's plenty of things that are existing, but they don't last very long. So if we always take a kind of a, a reading from the present can, present experience is all we can really know without conceiving without imagining without and just directly looking to what we can directly know for ourselves we cannot say there is such a thing as non-existence because things do keep rising up nor can we say there's no there's a continuing existence because things keep falling down <laughs> so what does the clinging depend upon craving something welding it all together and craving associated with the realm of consciousness what consciousness presents mental consciousness so it's clinging now that clinging to the 
Sila Bhatta Paramasa clinging to what are called principles and customs, Sila. We take the five Sila, after Sila, five precepts. So, <laughs> then the term Sila means precept. Um, uh, it can also mean more generically the quality, the general sphere of ethical concern, Sila Dhamma. The dhammas that are associated with ethical concerns, a broader context. Principles, values. So, um, definitely there can be uh, adherence around those which mean, you know, I am this, I'm a virtuous person, this is the right way to do it, this is the right way to be. Um, and from that position, there can be a looking down upon or a disapproval of others who don't. Therefore, there's going to be discord. You know, to not cling to something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, or that, but that the sealer is actually something that has to be is continually being generated at the interface of one's experience. Right? Experience is happening. Right? Where experience is happening, this is where it's being generated. If we come in with too rigid a set of thou shalt, thou shalt nots, it never quite matches the indeterminate contingency of what's arising. So certainly, you know, my training system has a very complex um, weave of many, many protocols and procedures. I don't know, maybe a thousand. You know, you've got main rules and sub-rules and commentaries on rules and protocols and procedures. You think, you, you've got to get it, this has got to get it all covered. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's always somebody going, well, what about this then? Well, I don't know, it could be this, or it could be that. <laughs> what is right speech? Is it telling people, look, I'm going to tell you the truth about you. Is that right speech? No, you've got to speak in a way that's the right time, the right place, the right manner. Okay, what's the right time? Well, <laughs> it depends. What's the right manner? It depends who you're talking to. <laughs> what else? It depends upon your state of mind. If you're feeling angry and righteous, it's not the right time. So, right speech is not... It all depends. So it all breaks up into a multiplicity in which eventually... No, I've got to wait and listen and feel my way into it with a, with a sense of conscience and concern and goodwill and respect. So it's a multiplicity of factors to lead one, even such a thing as right speech. And it's quite somewhere you see there's enumerated the, the Buddha's conditions. He said that things that are not true and not useful, the Buddha doesn't say. Doesn't mention those things. Things that are true and not useful, the Buddha doesn't say. It. Things that are true and pleasing to hear, he says at the right time. Things that are true and unpleasing to hear, he says at the right time. <laughs> he does not say what's not true. So it's all kind of Mr. Factors. And then he finds the right time, the right place to say that which is true. Mm-hmm. 
and sometimes it's pleasant and sometimes it's unpleasant but he has to know the right sign, the right place because uh, and, uh, there's a situation where there's a kind of training precept about you know, summoners we should always be prepared to correct each other you know, so somebody's got some particular difficult habit so excuse me, that's difficult you know, mean well yeah. But that's the, that's the seventh person today who's mentioned that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he says, "Don't overdo it." You know? <laughs> it's just a little suggestion now and then, because otherwise you destroy the person's faith. So you're just going to kind of <laughs> see what I mean. It all depends. So if we have a blind understanding of this is right, this is the truth, this is the precept, this is how we can do it, then we take it out of human context into an abstract and then it, it, then, it be, then it becomes unskillful or falls short of what we're trying to achieve if we're looking for why do we want to make anybody other than they are if it's for basically for their welfare not so you behave in the way that I like <laughs> so I've got to clear that well not because you I want you to follow my opinions. No, you've got to clear that. This is for your welfare. And maybe I got it wrong. So I can only say, what do you think? Is this for your welfare? Then you look at it for yourself. That's the kind of so the whole process of sila and then customs is to do with regular duties. Everybody turns up and does the chores at nine o'clock. Da 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 da. Because it's this, if we do that, it's well organized, things go harmoniously, go smoothly, da 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 da, you know, bit of those situations. It's very good if people put their shoes in the shoe rack, please, it keeps the place orderly and untidy. It's untidy, people get problems, so, and people could really wash the tea towels, don't just leave them hanging on the, on the line, please wash them, put them away, and you're going to switch the lights off because we're wasting money, spending lights. And if you could please remember to close the doors because we're losing the heat coming out of the house. And she <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I'm a patient person, but I. <laughs> Time to just let it be a bit chaotic. <laughs> because. <laughs> you get think it's so uptight trying to get it right all the time. What's the point of living together? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, you know, people they just can't do it. You know, they forget for suddenly some emotional issue happens so they didn't get there on time. We're not machines, you know. But yet it's good to have certain customs and certain principles. But it's the it's the adherence. You know? Crystallize what's occurring there, the tanha, you know, clinging to notions of self. Really, uh, can be extremely un- uncomfortable. Because generally, with the notion of self, if you hold it, uh, pretty soon it will come up with a I should be, or I wish I wasn't. I wish other people would to me behave this way to me or wish they wouldn't and it starts to shake and the harder we cling to it the more reduced our heart capacity gets 
We lose skin, we just get muscle, tight muscle, holding ourselves together. I am the person who has to make it all work. That's what I am. I am the person who always has to make sure things are effectively completed. That's the person I am. I'm the person, people don't really listen to me. That's who I am. I'm the person who's worked hard for 50 years not getting what I'm supposed to be treated. That's who I am. <laughs> or, or, of course, more sublime views, you know. I'm the true presence. <laughs> Beyond all forms of designation. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, could you do the washing up? <laughs> Oh, you know, I'm a narcissistic sociopath with definite. <laughs> you know, so you go. And what's happening is, that the, the, you know, that that clinging is sealing off the capacity for fluency and change, and to return to the truth of the matter. There are dumbness arising and ceasing. And so clinging can crystallize. So, if we come to the idea that I am someone who has to stop clinging, investigate that. 